There are those who believe that the greatest test of our democracy is coming this November. I would submit that it's already happening. It's happening in our high schools and on our college campuses around the country. That's where my sense of urgency really comes from today. Young people are demonstrating their willingness to be the force, the energy, and the face of change. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. Human Rights Watch finds Meta complicit in Middle Eastern anti-queer persecution. Equality advocates go to the UN for relief from Texas oppression. And the first black lesbian U.S. senator is youth-inspired. Those stories and more this week because you've chosen This Way Out. I'm Ava Davis. And I'm Alan Tihamo. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending January 27, 2024. The world's largest social media company is complicit in the persecution and arrests of queer people in the Middle East and North Africa. That's according to a report issued this week by Human Rights Watch. The global human rights group singled out Meta because of its online dominance as the parent company of Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp. Twitter slash X and the gay dating site Grindr did not escape criticism. They could also do a better job of protecting their queer users. In the report entitled Digital Targeting and its Offline Consequences for LGBT People in the Middle East and North Africa, Human Rights Watch highlights Egypt, Iraq, Jordan, Lebanon, and Tunisia. It documents how legal and religious authorities use social media to entrap and harass LGBTQ people. Same-gender sex is illegal in those countries, and queer online posts can be used as evidence in prosecutions. The report charges that those tactics led to the arbitrary detention and torture of LGBTQ people. Activists and transgender people were found to be the most vulnerable because of their online visibility, they face digital targeting because of overlapping stigma, discrimination, and the absence of legal protections. Rasha Yunus is Acting LGBT Rights Deputy Director at Human Rights Watch. She said in a statement, Meta has underinvested in user safety and underestimated the role its platforms play in facilitating abuses against LGBT people. Its management should always be accountable for the security of users on its platforms, but especially when it can protect them from egregious harm. Meta has yet to respond. The state of Texas is being brought before the United Nations, accused of enacting laws that intentionally target or disproportionately negatively affect LGBTQ people. A consortium of U.S. rights groups submitted a joint allegation letter on January 22nd to 17 independent experts, working groups, and special rapporteurs at the UN. The official complaint details how legislation passed by the Republican-dominated state legislature constitutes a human rights crisis for the state's LGBTQ people. The groups behind the action include the Human Rights Campaign, GLAAD, the American Civil Liberties Union of Texas, and the statewide queer rights group Equality Texas.
They got help from the Human Rights Clinic at the University of Texas at Austin. Their press release describes how queer Texans now suffer from laws that eliminate pediatric gender-affirming health care, ban queer-supportive books from libraries, and prohibit trans athletes from participating in collegiate sports and threaten drag performances. The groups called the laws gleefully signed by Republican Governor Greg Abbott a systemic attack on the fundamental rights, dignities, and identities of LGBTQ plus people. The UN complaint calls for the repeal of all anti-queer laws in the state and the passage of legislation to thoroughly protect LGBTQ rights. Texas officials have been uncharacteristically mum. It is worth noting that shortly before his assassination, Malcolm X endeavored to take the cause of African-American civil rights to the UN. In the words of Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, There is not enough money in the world to force us to let migrants in, and there is not enough money in the world for which we would put our children or grandchildren in the hands of LGBTQ plus activists. This was Orban's latest social media delivered response in his ongoing war against the European Union. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen announced this week that more than the equivalent of 25 billion U.S. dollars in funding will remain frozen until Hungary meets minimum EU human rights standards. Funds are being withheld because of the government's dismantling of democratic norms, gags on academic freedoms, and persecution of minorities, especially LGBTQ people and would-be immigrants. The feud began in earnest in 2021 after Orban's government enacted a no-promo-homo law that banned discussions about sexual orientation and gender identity in schools or in the media. One of Donald Trump's favorite autocrats, Orban is also accused of rampant corruption. Ohio's trans people under the age of 18 can no longer access gender-affirming health care, and trans girls and women are banned from competing in school sports. The Republican-dominated House and Senate overrode Republican Governor Mike DeWine's recent veto of the legislation. Families with trans children are already fleeing the state or traveling outside Ohio to access pediatric gender-affirming health care. The advocacy group TransOhio has launched a fund to provide emergency financial assistance. Spokesperson Dara Atkinson told NBC News this week that 68 families and 7 transgender adults have applied for emergency relocation funding. The new legislation also makes it more difficult for adults to get treatment. In Atkinson's words, their government is forcing them to uproot their lives. They're selling their homes, they're changing jobs and careers, and closing out all of their savings. They're closing their businesses, leaving their medical practices. The intense amount of personal and community trauma that is being inflected by the government right now and putting these families through who just love their effing kids is so cruel. Ohio has now become the 22nd U.S. state to halt access to gender-affirming health care for minors and the 24th to ban trans girls and women from competing in school sports. 
a California regulation that requires transgender law enforcement officers to out themselves when providing demographic information about traffic stops is on hold this week. Sacramento County Superior Court Judge Christopher Kruger slapped a temporary injunction on new regulations issued by Democratic Attorney General Rob Bonta. They mandate that officers specify whether they are cisgender, transgender, or non-binary. Each law enforcement agency is then required to relay that information to a state anti-discrimination board. The Peace Officers Research Association of California, the California Association of Highway Patrolmen, and organizations of police chiefs and sheriffs are challenging those requirements in Kruger's court. According to the San Francisco Chronicle, officers can be fired for refusing to comply or for lying about it. The police organizations had previously opposed the collection of demographic information to study profiling. Bonta's rationale for the new regulation is unclear, and his office has yet to respond to the court ruling. They seem to contradict the Attorney General's stated position that California law unequivocally protects transgender students from being outed to their parents or legal guardians. Judge Kruger set a trial date of March 19th to determine whether his preliminary injunction should be extended while the regulation continues to be litigated. Finally, 28% of Generation Z adults identify as LGBTQ. This new data, issued by the Public Religion Research Institute, reveals that people between the ages of 18 and 25 are increasingly comfortable embracing their sexuality and gender identity. The information comes from polling and focus groups held in the U.S. in August and September 2023. The results were first reported by Axios this week. Human Rights Campaign President Kelly Robinson said of the survey, whether at the polls, in marches and rallies, or online, LGBTQ plus visibility matters, and Gen Z is a force for change. According to these statistics, more Gen Zers identify as queer than the 21% who identify as Republican. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending January 27th, 2024. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeJazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Ava Davis. Stay healthy. And I'm Alan Tihamo. Stay safe. Make a laugh, make a laugh, make a laugh. Once when my dad was visiting, we invited friends over for dinner, and the only conversation rule I laid down ahead of time was no discussion of sex. That was for my benefit. My father sat and listened through dinner conversations of gay politics, gay theory, gay gossip, and toward the end of the discussion, I turned to my dad and asked, Well, Mr. Clinton, we have a very formal relationship. What do you think we as gay people can do to make more bridges to straight people? My dad did one of his patented, exquisitely timed pauses and replied, Keep talking. I'm Kate Clinton, inviting you to tune in to this station to hear This Way Out, the international lesbian and gay radio magazine.
our listeners support This Way Out in many ways. By subscribing to our e-newsletter. Email us at info at thiswayout.org. And through your financial contributions to our program. More information about how you can give is online at thiswayout.org. Thank Thank you. you. Alfonso Butler made her first speech to her colleagues on January 17th. Butler is the first out black lesbian to ever serve in Congress's upper chamber. She was one of the youngest people to become a leader in the healthcare, public sector, and property workers Service Employees International Union, or SEIU. She went on to serve as president of Emily's List, an organization dedicated to electing pro-choice women to public office. In October 2023, California Governor Gavin Newsom appointed her to fill out the term of legendary Senator Dianne Feinstein. Butler talked about her road to the Senate and the key issues she'll focus on while there. Madam President, I rise today with gratitude, honored to be a member of this esteemed body. I rise having never imagined that this opportunity to serve will be a part of my journey. I also know that my presence in these hallowed halls is only made possible by Senator Carol Mosley-Braun and now Vice President Kamala Harris, both of whom were historic members of this great chamber and to stand on their shoulders as the only black woman in this chamber today, I am eternally grateful. To my partner, Nanikki Lee, and my daughter, Nyla Grace, who are in the gallery, I am especially grateful. Madam President, I know that I am the newest senator to join this chamber. And while I may be new to this title and to this institution, I am not new to the struggle and the work of justice. You see, I'm the proud daughter of the South, born in Magnolia, Mississippi, the youngest of three children. I'm the granddaughter uh, to Carrie, a sharecropper from Louisiana, crippled at a young age by polio. The granddaughter to Letty Ruth, a maid who had to take her children to the homes of the white families for whom she cleaned and children she cared for even as she worked to get her certificate as a nursing assistant. My grandparents were patriots who had to be urgent about the promise of America for their 11 children. The promise that if they worked hard and played by the rules, that their children would never have to see sharecropping as their destiny. My mother, Sarah, was number six. She had five in front and five behind. She was born in 1953, one year before the Brown versus Board of Education decision. Yet, Madam President, it would be 13 years before she and her classmates saw an integrated school or had any semblance of equal. As an adult, my mom made ends meet by working sometimes three jobs in the same day, working as a classroom assistant for mostly special needs children. 
She worked as a certified nursing assistant just as her mom before her. She was a security officer, a cashier at a gas station, but her full-time job was unpaid. For more than a decade, she was the primary caregiver for my father, Delis, who died after suffering six heart attacks, angioplasty, receiving a heart transplant from an 18-year-old who died in a motorcycle accident. My father passed when I was 15 years old. Colleagues, my mother, too, needed to be urgent about the future of her three children. She knew she had to be and do everything and anything she could to ensure that we had the opportunities to break beyond the barriers of poverty and to chase our dreams. I went on to be educated at the Jackson State University in Jackson, Mississippi. I had professors who were lawyers and scholars and organizers in the civil rights movement who were urgent about the young minds and lives that they were there to educate. Leaders like Dr. Mary Coleman, who chaired our political science department and at the same time was a part of the litigation team that sued the state of Mississippi for equal funding for its historically black colleges. Professors like Dr. Leslie Burrell McLemore, who taught in our lecture halls, but also served as a model of leadership, becoming the president of our beloved university, the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, and today at 83 years old, one of the first black elected officials in his hometown of Walls, Mississippi. They and others taught me the urgency of opportunity inherent in the promise of America, but they also were clear that the arc of our moral universe bends towards justice only when people keep our heart and our hands pushing it in that direction. My time with workers, their families, and other leaders at SCIU was also formative because we built coalitions to win, to win healthcare benefits for healthcare workers who had never been able to see a doctor. We built a coalition to win, to raise the minimum wage in California to $15 an hour when the average Californian was spending 40% of their disposable income on housing and on food. Together, we fought for environmental justice and to restore redemption and rehabilitation to our criminal justice system. We knew that we urgently needed to work to build the California that our children deserved. And I was able to continue that work during my time at EMILY's List, supporting pro-choice women who advanced values that united their communities at every level of government. We were intent on creating that new generation of leaders. Madam President, today I am clear that my time in the Senate can be no different. And I rise today urgent about the future of our nation's children. I rise carrying the urgent hopes of my grandfather and my grandmother, the deferred dreams of my mother. I rise bearing witness to the urgent sense of action of my professors who were determined to show that next generation of leaders that change is possible only when we choose to do it together. There are those who believe that the greatest test of our democracy is coming this November. I would submit 
that it's already happening. It's happening in our high schools and on our college campuses around the country. That's where my sense of urgency really comes from today. My impatience emerges from listening to my own child, who at my staff holiday celebration just last year shared the story of her elementary school lockdown as if it were commonplace. My sense of urgency comes from the facts amplified by the American Psychological Association that 13% of high school girls had attempted suicide, while 30% had considered it. Those numbers rose to 20% for LGBTQ plus students. And amongst black girls, the suicide rate rose 36.5%. My impatience was formed on June 24, 2022, when millions of women and girls across the country, just like my little girl, came home less free than their mothers and grandmothers the morning of the final Dobbs decision. My urgency was affirmed this past weekend home in California, while I was home in California celebrating the legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I had the opportunity to visit with some of our state's best, brightest, and youngest minds. One of them is Jesus Francisco Estrada, Jr. He goes by Paco. Paco is going to turn 22 years old a week from today. He's a first-generation college student at Loyola Marymount University, and he's from South Central Los Angeles. He wanted me to make sure that I said between Green Meadows and Watts. His father is a member of UFCW Local 770, and he was the primary income, income earner in their house when he was working full-time for over 20 years at a meat processing and meat cutting facility. Paco's mother was often too sick to work as she suffered from a complex diabetes condition, as well as having had a scare with cancer. Paco shared with me that his entire childhood he had grown up uh, watching and knowing that his family was not going to have, not going to be able to secure housing month to month. He knew this because his he knew that his father was barely making ends meet and that sometimes they couldn't afford the rent. He saw the stress that this added to his father's already grueling responsibilities. Now, the challenges and headwinds of Paco's life are enough to set anyone back. Instead, he has chosen to live and to lead forward. And so my commitment to Paco, my urgency about the future of our children, my service to the people of California has to start with democracy and freedom. Protecting and advancing its very ideals determined to preserve it for those who must carry it forward. And I look forward to working with my colleagues to pass the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Freedoms once thought to be protected by our Constitution for decades, like reproductive health care, abortion access, and equal opportunity are being stripped away right in front of us. I am eager to get to work with my colleagues to pass legislation to restore these protections and do today what cannot be left as the unfinished business of generations to come. 
My commitment to Generation Now includes a focus on their mental health and well-being. I am impatient to work with my colleague, Senator Padilla, and others to improve access to mental health and eager to work with Senator Brown and Senator Scott to advance the FIND Act to stop the spread of fentanyl in our communities and the killing of our children. According to recent data gathered by the AFL-CIO, 88% of workers under 30 want to be in a union. I am urgently ready to stand with those workers and with my colleagues who are committed to taking on the corporations who would stand in their way. We must pass legislation like the PRO Act and the Home and Community-Based Services Act to create the workforce necessary to provide the care in our communities. Advancing economic opportunities for Generation Now who will lead and work in the economy of the future. We must do all that we can to ensure the tools necessary to believe in the American dream again. In closing, Madam President, while I'm urgent, I am also filled with abiding hope. Generation Now may be cynical, but they are not sitting it out. Even as they had to, have had to question whether government could truly work for them, even as they have seen dysfunctional and bitter politics, their advocacy on behalf of themselves and their future deserves its own recognition. Whether it's the movements for gun reform, environmental protection, racial justice, or your local barista's fight to join a union, young people are demonstrating their willingness to be the force, the energy, and the face of change. It's the stories of Generation Now who believe that their lives can add up to something more that truly inspires me. Madam President, as I take my seat, I offer again the clarion call that was shared with this body and the world almost three years ago to the day. On January 20th, 2021, Amanda Gorman, the youngest person ever to serve as the inaugural poet, said this. We are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean that we are striving to forge a union that is perfect. We are striving to form a union with purpose. To compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And we lift our eyes not to what's, to, we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but to what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our futures first, we must first put our differences aside. If our children are our future, let us be urgent about the promise of America. It must be that we put our future first because their lives are depending on us today. Madam President, I yield the floor. U.S. Senator Alfonso Butler made a quick decision not to run for a full term. A number of prominent progressive Democrats are already in the race. As a member of the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs, she plans to target affordable housing and economic justice. As a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Butler will be a champion for reproductive rights. She will, in all things, highlight the voices of young people.
Thanks for choosing This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. News Wrap was reported this week by Ava Davis and Alan Tiano and produced by Brian DeShazer. Boomtown Rats and Maggie Luton and Christoph Golden performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed Brad theme music. This Way Out thanks Brad Furr of KGAY Palm Springs and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Ask us about how you can join them. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email us at info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at PO Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lisa Chappelle and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Greg Gordon. Thanks for listening. Online at thiswayout.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And on WXRJ, Northampton, Massachusetts, 5UV, Adelaide, South Australia, KUNM, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and a wide array of communities, terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.